Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Highway Community Podcast for Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. Thanks so much for listening. Well, we have, as we have returned to in-person gatherings following the lockdown that we experienced as a result of the pandemic, we have been intentionally resetting ourselves as a church. And our focus has been on centering ourselves first and foremost around the person of Jesus and his greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then from there to allow Jesus, who was wholly and fully committed to his father's mission of bringing the presence of the kingdom of God on earth, allowing Jesus then to inform our sense of mission and then to allow all of that to be the thing that informs who we are and how we structure ourselves as a church. And so what does it look like for us as a church to be informed by Jesus and his mission? This morning, we're beginning a new teaching series that will explore just that. And I think that this series is particularly timely and relevant because as as we have noted before, we're living in a really interesting time for the church right now. The church in America is in a real time of reckoning, uh, in part because of the COVID pandemic, which completely disrupted the life of the church in in the same way that it disrupted every aspect of our lives as we knew them. And that disruption created the space to raise some fundamental questions like, what's the purpose of the church? What, out of all the things that we do, uh, is, is essential and irreplaceable? Right? What, what, what are the things that we, that we miss dearly? What are the things that are not essential? Right? What do we not miss dearly? And who are we as the church when everything as we formerly knew it is stripped away? And then, you know, in addition to all the questions that emerged for the church out of the pandemic, the church has also been under the microscope as the past 30 to 40 years roughly of evangelical church history are beginning to be looked at retrospectively, uh, which, is, which is good and hard and healthy and, and really everything in between. I came across a cartoon online recently that I think pretty masterfully captures right, part of the legacy of evangelicalism in America. It's a cartoon drawn by At Naked Pastor uh, that portrays Jesus and the church in marriage counseling, you know, riffing on the metaphor of the church being the bride of Christ. And there's a therapist sitting in a chair with a couple of pictures on the wall. And then on a love seat, there's the church sitting next to uh, a very forlorn looking Jesus. And the church has its mouth open. And with this forlorn Jesus sitting at its side, the church is saying, we hardly have anything in common anymore. And, you know, what's both simultaneously funny and sad about that cartoon is how true it is. Because there are a lot of ways that, uh, as the church, uh, we have just not had enough in common with Jesus. There are a lot of ways that, that we have not had enough in common when it comes to our mission, when it comes to our relationship with the broader culture, when it comes to our relationship with politics, Uh, And when it comes to to some of the causes that we have championed or not championed. 
And that, by the way, is definitely not Jesus's fault. And so what does it look like for us as the church uh, to, be, to be more aligned with Jesus and to be formed and shaped by him? We actually get some, some direct insight into that from none other than Jesus himself in the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is one of the most daunting and mysterious books uh, to read, uh, let alone to interpret in all of Scripture. And, and we get an indication of why that is uh, from, the very, from the very beginning of the book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 begins like this. It says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. As we listen to those verses, uh, the very first thing that we hear in the very first verse is that this is the revelation from Jesus Christ. And the Greek word that's translated into English for us as revelation is apocalypsis, which literally means unveiling or to pull the lid off. And so we immediately learn from verse 1 that the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature, which is a genre that some of you may remember we encountered a few years ago when we studied the book of Daniel together. And apocalyptic literature is a genre in which revelation that involves the unveiling of the mysteries of the future is mediated by an otherworldly being to a human recipient. Uh, and that's exactly what we see happening here at the beginning of Revelation. Right? God made this revelation known, verse 1 says, by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything that he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so from the beginning, the, the stage is, is set. God sent his angel to his servant John, right, the author of the Gospel of John and the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this, what we have, is John's testimony of what he saw. It's his testimony of God's vision. Now, something else that's true about apocalyptic literature is that it is typically loaded with highly symbolic imagery. Apocalyptic literature is typically loaded with highly symbolic imagery. And because of that, uh, it's a lot like poetry. Right? It uses imagery and it, and it teaches by analogy. And that's precisely uh, what makes Revelation so difficult in many ways to interpret. And so as we read Revelation, it's important that all of those things in mind, that we humbly embrace the mystery of the text, right? that we recognize that there will be things that we don't understand, and that there will be questions that we might have that the text doesn't answer, right? and that all of that is okay. Now, that very sense of mystery uh, is definitely reinforced by the blessing that John offers in verse 3. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And so we see there 
uh, that the one who simply reads aloud the words of the prophecy of Revelation is blessed. The one who simply reads it aloud is blessed. And then, perhaps even more significantly, there's a blessing on those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. And so we see there that this blessing is also an invitation. This blessing in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 is also an invitation. It's an invitation to listen. And even more specifically, as we peek into the beginning of verse 4, which reveals that, that John is writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia, at the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamum, the church at Theatira, the church at Sardis, the church at Philadelphia, and the church at Laodicea. As John is writing to these seven churches, it's even more specifically an invitation for the church to listen. It's an invitation for the church to hear and for the church to take to heart the prophetic and pastoral words that follow and to be shaped by them. And so Revelation is an invitation for the church to listen. And that invitation extends to us as well. We too are invited to listen, which is precisely the aim of the series that we're beginning today, which is called Ears to Hear, right? To listen to Jesus's words to each of the seven churches and to take to heart the prophetic and pastoral words that are present in those words for us today. And we're going to start this morning by looking together at John's greeting to the churches, uh, followed then by his opening vision. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 says, Grace and peace to you from him who is, and him who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Christ Jesus, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Something that's important, I think, for us to notice here as Revelation begins is the way that John starts with Christology. He begins by focusing his greeting on Jesus' deity. John proclaims in verse 5 that Jesus is the faithful witness. He came to to bear witness to the truth. He's the firstborn from, from the dead, which reminds us that he is resurrected. And he's also the ruler of the kings of the earth. And so John starts with Christology. He starts by establishing Jesus' deity and affirming that that he is the one who has loved us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, and that he is the one who has made the church, who has made his people to be a kingdom and priests to serve his Father. And all of that provides the foundation, it provides the grounding 
for the opening vision. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll that you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. Well, we mentioned earlier that, that a common feature of apocalyptic literature is imagery that is highly symbolic. And we definitely see that here. Right? We, we are not even a cup of coffee into Revelation yet, and we've already got seven golden lampstands, and then among those lampstands, one that is like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. And that image of the one like a son of man is, is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, and a, and a title that Jesus himself claimed during his ministry on earth. But of course, that's just the beginning of the symbolism. Verse 14 continues, The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And so when, when John saw this person who was like a son of man, right, with hair as white as snow, eyes that were blazing like fire, and a face that was like the sun shining in all its brilliance, he fell at his feet as though dead. Verse 17 continues, Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of the death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. Do not be afraid, the one like a son of man said to John. Now, all throughout Scripture, those are the words that are spoken when humans encounter the divine. When God came to Abram in a vision in Genesis 15, and when he appeared to Hagar in the desert in Genesis 26, and to Jacob in Genesis 46, he said, Do not be afraid. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and then to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and then to the woman in the women in the tomb after Jesus' resurrection, he said, do not be afraid. And so those words are, are a signal to us 
that John is having a divine encounter here. And that divine encounter is with the first and the last, the living one, the one who was dead but is alive for eternity. And that is Jesus. And so John's encounter here is with the resurrected Jesus. And, and, you know, for as mysterious and difficult to interpret as Revelation is, Jesus uh, very graciously gives us some assistance with this first vision that we encounter. And it reminds me, actually, of the first parable that Jesus taught, right? the parable of the, of the sower and the seeds, where, where Jesus explicitly explained its meaning to his disciples, it definitely would have been nice if he would have supplied an interpretive guide for the parable of the unmerciful servant and, and some of the others as well. But hey, we should be grateful for what we have, right? including this help that he provides for us here in Revelation chapter 1. Right? Jesus gives us insight into this vision in Revelation chapter 1 verse 20. It says, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so Jesus reveals there that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches of Asia Minor, to whom John's prophecy is addressed. Now, we noted earlier the invitation for the church to listen uh, that is embedded in the blessing that begins the book back in verse 3. And, and as we will see in the coming weeks, right, as, as we attune our ears to hear Jesus' words to the churches, Jesus offers both words of affirmation and words of correction to each church. He offers both words of affirmation and words of correction to each church. And this opening vision that John shares here in Revelation 1, this, this vision of the golden lampstands, provides, I think, some really important framing for all of that. And listen again to, to verse 12 of Revelation chapter 1. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. And I want to pay close attention to that phrase at the very beginning there of verse 13. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Now John turned and he saw Jesus where? He saw him among the lampstands. He saw him among the churches. And so, so the words that, that, that Jesus is going to have for the churches in the coming chapters don't come from a place of distance, but rather from a place of presence. Jesus' words to the churches, they come inherently from a place of of presence. They come from a place of withness, right? Of Jesus being with the church. And so in the very midst of both the triumphs 
and the struggles of the early churches. And, and there are both of those we will see. John's vision reminds us that Jesus is very much among them. And as we listen, he is similarly among us. As we listen, he is similarly among us. And that is something that I think, that in all the machinations of what it means for us to do church and try to be the church in our present-day cultural context, that we can very easily lose sight of. Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, is present with us, his church. And so, as we listen to Jesus' call to us in the coming weeks, the call to love, the call to suffer, the call to truth, the call to holiness, the call to authenticity, the call to mission, and the call to dependence. May we have ears to hear the words that Jesus has for us as the church. And may we not be afraid because Jesus is indeed here among us. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for the gift of these words from Revelation. And thank you for the, for the very beautiful and elemental reminder that Jesus is present with us, your church. And as we listen here in the coming weeks to Jesus' words to the churches, Father, may we listen with humility and open ourselves to the things that, that you have for us. Would you be continually shaping us and shaping our hearts after yours and showing us what it means to make your kingdom present here on earth as it is in heaven. Would you give us ears to hear, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.